Hello and welcome to the Bridge City Church podcast. If you would like to get connected, you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Church or come along to our Sunday service at 10am. We'd love to have a coffee and a chat. We hope you enjoy this week's message. See you at church. Okay, well, the people of the early church changed their world, those early Christians. Um, They had a a new and different way of looking at life and uh, how it should be lived. They were excited about the fact that they had put their faith in Jesus and their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour and had now become part of God's family and they could enjoy this new relationship with the God, with God, the God of the whole universe, in fact. And their response to God's love and forgiveness was to share the good news of love and forgiveness with other people. And over the years, Christians have had made quite an impact on the world as we know it. We now take for granted some of the changes that Christians have initiated. Um, For example... Let's look at education. We all expect children to go to school and to get an education. That's just a normal part of life for us here in Australia. But if we go back 300 years, most people couldn't read or write. And uh, during the Industrial Revolution of the 1700s, children were working in factories and in mines. In 1780, Robert Rakes and Thomas Stock first established a Sunday school for the poor and the orphaned in Gloucester in England. And although there were earlier Sunday schools, Rakes and Stock have been recognised as the originators because their efforts led clergy and lay people to establish similar schools throughout England and thus setting in motion you know, what we now know as Sunday school, or in our case, children's church. They taught reading, writing, arithmetic, and catechism. Um, Catechism is a summary of the principles of Christianity in the form of questions and answers. As well as it turned out as being schools for learning, these Sunday schools also became a social hub for the children and their parents who had moved to the cities from their close-knit rural communities. Before government set up social welfare departments, churches often care for the sick, the poor and widows. And many churches still carry on these activities. And while our church has partnered with the food bank to provide cheap food for those in need. And that also has become a social hub for those who visit. Christians were active in the abolition of the slave trade. In England, an evangelical Christian, William Wilberforce, was the leading politician fighting to abolish slave trading in the British Empire. And through the centuries, Christians have changed the world. Jesus put the church into the world to show God's what God's kingdom was really like. But now... Satan, the devil, is trying to distract the world and people in there thinking that there's no supernatural world. 
And uh, if there is, then look at some other religions because they're not taking you anywhere. A report on the ABC News a few nights ago said Christianity was in deep decline, steep decline, and they noted that other religions that they thought were on the rise. I've noticed that every time the ABC News has an item on Indigenous issues, they show a video of a smoking ceremony. Rodney Rivers, an Indigenous Aboriginal from the Kimberley in northwestern Australia, has made a distinction between Aboriginal culture and Aboriginal religion. He said that the smoking ceremony is part of Aboriginal religion and taking part in it gives demonic spirits access to your life. Bit of a scary thought, isn't it? Um, and that's we'll, a big topic. We won't go down there. But to quote from an article he's written for the Daily Declaration, some of you might have heard of the Canberra Declaration, uh, yeah, Canberra Declaration. Well, this is, I think, associated with it. So part of an article he's wrote, written says, I need to say that the Western mind in general is totally ignorant and has no concept of the supernatural, the spirit world and the intervention and influence it has on everyday life. Modern day psychology, science and medicine totally deny this. And so here's a man that's been dealing with spirits for a long time and knows that this is, supernaturally, things are going on all the time and influencing the life in the world as we know it. Unfortunately, our education system, our psychology, science and medicine can't cope with this and deny it. So the devil has been trying to deceive the world concerning spiritual matters. It doesn't end there. The devil is trying hard to discredit Jesus, the church and Christians and make life difficult for us. I'll just pause here for a moment. Before, the, um, as before we had our prayer meeting this morning, Carolyn was, said, oh, I've, I've got this Bible verse that keeps coming to me. And when she told me what it was, I thought, oh, how would you like to share that, those verses with us? So if you'd just like to step up. Thanks, Trevor. It's 2 Corinthians 4 from, um, it's verse 8 and 9. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Thank you. The reason I've, we've sort of gone there is that two ideas have come into circulation in recent times, and one is woke and one is cancel cultures. Woke seems to be used to describe people who are hypervigilant of any racist, misogynistic, that is um, prejudiced against women, homophobic or other bias. Sometimes we've called it, some have called it political correctness on steroids. Cancel culture, which can result from wokeness, uh, withdraws support or even boycotts and protests those who do or say things that they perceive as offending. The Mr Bean actor, Rowan Atkinson, has, just, has compared cancel culture to a medieval mob looking for someone to burn. <laughs> So they're kind of 
um, super sensitive about it. And look, used fairly, these things could be useful. But unfortunately, they're usually used by people who uh, have extreme viewpoints. And as I was researching this, I discovered the stories of innocent people who've had their lives ruined when woke and uh, cancel culture got their facts wrong and uh, spread misinformation that could not be you know, recalled once the truth became evident. I'm talking about this because... Christianity has copped some flack from these groups because the Christian lifestyle doesn't fit their worldview. As I said a moment ago, Christians have a different way of looking at life and how it should be lived. The way we live is based on the way Jesus taught us to live. Unfortunately, much of the world's thinking is rubbed off on the church and we've unwittingly begun to see what what's right and wrong through the world's lens rather than through the truth of God's word. And I must confess that as I've been writing this, I've become aware of some of the worldly ideas that have crept into my thinking. In John 18, we read of Jesus being brought to trial before the Roman governor. We're going to read verses 37 and 38. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. Maybe he said it sarcastically. And with this he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Pilate's words used to fascinate me. What is truth? I thought about it and eventually I decided that the ultimate truth was that God truly existed. That works for me. What is truth? It's an interesting thought and it's far-reaching. The problem is that most people don't know or want to know about absolute truth. They take the easy way out and say, well, what's truth for you isn't truth for me. I remember witnessing to people back in the 70s and they would often say, I don't need Jesus, I've got my own religion. Right? And that was a common thing. I've got my own religion back in those days. And I must confess that at the time I didn't really have a comeback for that. But if someone said that to me now, I'd ask right back, well, So how's that working out for you, (laughs) if you've got your own religion? You see, what they were saying was a way of avoiding the real issue. Modern society has no absolutes by which it can measure truth or right or wrong. The best it can do is speak of tolerance and not judging anybody. I was listening to an interview with Bill Muhlenberg in which he said, The church has been hoodwinked into thinking we can't express our view of morality. All the time, those who are pushing for euthanasia and abortion are pushing their morality down our culture's throat. We might be tolerant, but the other side is not playing by the rules. 
That's a short version of what he said. It's good to keep the Apostle Paul's words in mind here. We read Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. You know, in this world of moral relativism, right and wrong are often based on how our culture feels about an issue. Our ideas that are promoted by the media eventually become widely accepted. What once seemed wrong becomes now accepted as right. Things that once that people once gave little thought to have now become centre stage. When I was um, much younger, um, young men wore, say, aftershave and clones um, only on special occasions. And that was it. And about that time, I remember seeing someone from a cosmetics company on TV explaining how they were going to make a change in public perception and it would be trendy for men to wear perfumes and skincare products. And I think I laughed at this statement and thought, not likely, <laughs> right? Fast forward about 30 years and one day I was watching a TV for ads for men's products on TV and I remembered the interview from years earlier and I realised that they had achieved what they set out to do. Change our perception of you know, what men in cosmetics and you know, aftershaves and all sorts of stuff. Right? It wasn't a bad thing, but I realised that there are always people out there working to change our culture and how the way we see things. So we have the situation with what seems right at one point in time may become wrong if public opinion changes. There's no absolute truth because truth as the world knows it changes with public opinion. In a society where ultimate truth is treated like a fairy tale, it's really easy to follow everyone else and do what seems best to you, so long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. And of course, be tolerant. Don't tell anyone else they're wrong in case they get offended. When we understand the ultimate truth about the God of the universe and how he loves us and he wants to be in relationship with us, it helps us to understand the world around us and it gives us a basis for making decisions in our lives. Without this, we see no purpose for our lives. For millennia, people have um, believed in a connection between ourselves and the spirit world, world and the role it played in their lives. And I'm not just talking about the Jews and their God. I'm talking about all cultures. When the Apostle Paul was in Athens, he was struck by how many altars there were for all their gods. In Acts 17, we read of him addressing the Athenian scholars. Let's read verses 22 and 23. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens... I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So 
you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So Paul tells us, tells them about the real God and the salvation he offers through Jesus. The Athenians must have thought there was something missing in their spiritual lives and the fact that they had an altar there to the unknown God showed that they were looking for truth. Then Paul showed up with the answer. This was a revelation to them. A personal revelation of Jesus as our Saviour confirms the truth of God's word in our lives. So how do we get this revelation from God? The easiest way is to read the Bible every day and ask God to show us the things he wants us to see. As we're reading, God will open our spiritual eyes to the truth he wants us to know and show us as to how we should live. Let's look at some Bible verses about truth. Psalm 40, verse 11. You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth until my heart, sorry, untie my heart. Get it right in a minute. Unite my heart <laughs> to fear your name. I kept getting it wrong when I was practicing this earlier too, for some reason. Anyway, Zechariah 8.16. These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge truth and judgment for peace in your gates. Judge with truth. Yep. John 8.31-32. So Jesus was saying to these Jews who believed him, if you continue my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John sixteen thirteen, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all all to the truth, for he will not speak of on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and would, he will disclose it to you what is to come. And John seventeen seventeen, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Romans 1 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And lastly, Ephesians 6.14. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. As we read God's word, we will gain insight and revelation concerning the truth that he's trying to show us. We will understand how we should live as God's children. There's yet, of course, another avenue, and that is the Holy Spirit. As we pray and seek God's will, the Holy Spirit will begin to reveal to our spirit revelation directly from God. And when this happens, we come face to face with God's truth. 
for us and his reality is inescapable. It's an exciting time. And if you've ever been, like probably most of us, sometime we come face to face with God's reality in our lives and it's a pretty exciting thing. You think, wow, God's there. I read to you a moment ago from John 16, 13, and I'll just read it to you again. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. So when we speak, when we seek the Holy Spirit's help, he will come and guide us into all truth and disclose to us what is to come. So to briefly loop back to where I started, criticism of Christianity by woke and cancel groups often focuses on what, they, what seems to be unfair. So when you look at some of Jesus' teachings from a casual viewpoint, that probably seems to be so. But when you look at them through the eyes of faith, what Jesus is saying goes way beyond fair. Covering all possibilities would take too long. I've thought of a number of things. So let's just look at one thing. One of my favourite thoughts, which I probably preach on every now and again, is that Jesus, did, Jesus didn't just travel around Palestine preaching, healing people and performing miracles just to fill in his days. He was actually revealing to us the very nature of God. And until we understand this, some of Jesus' teachings might seem unfair. So Jesus told the people parables, that is stories, that illustrated what God's nature is like and what the kingdom of God is like. Because we look at it from a worldly perspective that we think is normal, some of these stories seem unfair, in part. One parable that most people know is the story of the prodigal son. And it's, you know, it's found in Luke 15, verses 11 to 24. I won't read it all, but briefly, it's the story of a father who has two sons. Most of you probably know the story. One day the younger son comes to him and asks his father for his inheritance money. And once he has it, he leaves town and squanders all of it. Penniless, he has to find a job. And the only job going is looking after pigs. For the Jews, pigs were considered unclean. They wouldn't even touch one. So here this young, here's this young man, and he's looking after pigs, and it would have been complete and utter humiliation for him. Because it says... He couldn't even eat the pods. And I guess that was because what the pigs were eating because the pigs had touched it, so he saw it was unclean. After a while, he realises that he'd be better off at home working for his father as a servant. <clears throat> so he decides to return home, apologise to his father and ask for a job. Let's read verses 20 to 24. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Then he said to him, 
the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Without recrimination, his father welcomes his son back with open arms, clothes him with the best robe, puts sandals on his feet and puts a ring on his finger. So looking at this from a worldly perspective, I used to have a problem with verse 22. The son had taken his inheritance and left. And so logically, when he returns, he has no inheritance. His only course of action is to get a job working for his father as a servant. But what does his father do? The father puts a robe on him, which indicates honour, and then he puts a ring on his finger that indicates authority. And it was the same as giving him power of attorney. The father was effectively restoring his inheritance. To the casual observer, this doesn't seem fair. He he squandered his inheritance, possibly been an embarrassment to the family, but now all is restored. (laughs) How could this be? That's the bit that used to irritate me sometimes. But you see, Jesus is telling this story for a reason. All of mankind is the prodigal son. In Genesis, we read of Adam and Eve leaving God's presence and going on their own way. And ever since, we, mankind, has been separated from our Heavenly Father. People who don't know God and think that their life is normal. And they think that's, that that's how life is until they realise that they're separated from their Heavenly Father. And it's only when they take hold of that hope that they can return and come back to him through the sacrifice of Jesus. They're welcomed by God, our Heavenly Father, and once again reinstated as God's children. So we may have been away from God for many years, but when people people can be away from God, but when they realise that God is their Heavenly Father and they can be in relationship with him, they can come back. And although it kind of seems illogical to, to our worldview, he reinstores, reinstates them as his children. This is a truth. The promise of our salvation, our forgiveness by God and our reinstatement as God's children still holds true today. If you haven't given your hearts to Jesus and accepted his forgiveness that he's offering, then you can do it today. Your inheritance as a child of God can be restored today without any recrimination from God. It's a free gift. Um, When I was reading this article by Rodney Rivers, 
he was sort of talking about that often if we get other religions include revenge and recrimination, but not our God. He will take us back without recrimination and it's a free gift. For those of you, perhaps here today, who don't know Jesus, I'm offering you that promise of his forgiveness. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And while I'm doing that, and while everyone's eyes are closed, I'm going to invite you to to raise your hand and give your heart to Jesus. If you haven't done that before, he will accept you back. He will take you as his children. That is a truth that we can rely on and understand. So let's pray together. Father God, I just thank you that you've loved us first. But you're an awesome God, the God of the whole universe. And as we repent, Lord, you just take us back and accept us without any recrimination and give us back our rights as your children. And so if there's anybody here now who just wants to give their heart to Jesus, maybe you haven't done it before, but your heart's excited and it's beating, and I invite you to put your hand up now while everyone else is praying. And your eyes are closed. Thank you, Lord, that you've done this. Lord, we just thank you that we can come here as your children and know that we're accepted by you. Touch each person's heart and our lives this day, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure you subscribe to stay up to date with all our latest sermons. If you would like to get connected, you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Church. Or come along to our Sunday service at 10am. 